sometimes in our lives, we all have pain, we all have sorrow, but if we are wise, finish it with me, we know that there's always tomorrow. Lean on me, the song goes, when you're not strong and I'll be your friend, I'll help you carry on. The words of uh, Bob Withers, 19, sorry, Bill Withers, 1972. Is it okay to lean, to lean on others? Bill Weathers says, yes, it is. But what are the other messages you hear? Maybe something like this you see on social media today. Don't lean on others. You were born with two feet for a reason. Or maybe you heard that from your grandpa growing up. I listened to two different audiobooks this past week. I was working my way through a couple of different classics, To Kill a Mockingbird and my man Jeeves, they're very different books, uh, but both of them had characters in them who prided themselves on the fact that they took nothing from anyone. They never asked for help. They didn't owe anyone anything. Is leaning weakness? Is it okay to be weak? Is it okay to be dependent? Again, Bill Weathers would say, please swallow your pride. Who should lean? We all have pain, we all have sorrow. It won't be long before I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. Do you need to lean? What or who are you leaning on? Someone right up the road? Are you leaning on yourself, your own two feet? Do we just need to lean when we're not strong? you'll look with me this morning, we're going to look at a time where Paul said that he was not strong. So if you will look with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're continuing here, we're going to read verses 8 through 11 this morning. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Pray with me one moment before we begin the rest of our look at this text this morning. God, you are the author of these words, and we pray that this morning, right now, that you would speak through them to us, pray that you would help us to have ears to hear, and that we would have hearts that would be ready to know and believe what you say. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As we continue the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, this morning we're going to see more of Paul's introduction, more of him setting the stage for his argument about his apostleship and things like that. Uh, This is again to the church that didn't know if they wanted to partner with Paul anymore, if they wanted to even listen to Paul anymore. Uh, And like we saw in the previous paragraph, verses 3 through 7 a couple weeks ago, Paul explains that even though he was an apostle, and especially because he was an apostle, he had some significant suffering in his life. 
some severe trials. In these verses, we see Paul being very honest about that, very transparent. He said here in verse 8 and 9, he said he experienced something so difficult in his life that he and others with him said we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We don't know precisely which situation Paul's describing in in these verses. Uh, Later in this book, in chapter 11, he lists many things that he went through. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Maybe it's one of these he's describing here, that he despaired of life itself. It could be some other things. Uh, In Acts 19, he was in... uh, Ephesus in Asia, there's a dangerous riot there that uh, was specifically targeting Paul and his ministry. In, in 1 Corinthians, Paul also mentions that while he was in Ephesus in Asia, he fought wild beasts, maybe like the, the gladiatorial games. Maybe it's one of those. Uh, we don't precisely know. Uh, but Paul does want to make sure that they know this happened to him. He says, we do not want you to be unaware that something like this happened to us. Why? Why is that important for Paul? Again, like we mentioned previously, Paul wants them to know that his ministry, his apostolic ministry, is marked by suffering, severe suffering. So like we said a few weeks ago, there's something apostolic about his suffering. Uh, As a chosen messenger of Christ, he was sharing the sufferings of Christ that maybe not every Christian would. He also wanted to make sure that they knew suffering was not beneath him. He didn't expect to be given a pass on suffering because he was an apostle or because he was just a Christian. Uh, But in these verses, Paul is being even a little bit more open, maybe even a little bit more scandalous in what he's putting on display, something his opponents could, could take and run with. He says it was so bad that Paul despaired of life, not just that he had suffering, but it caused him despair. He said he thought that he was under a death sentence, Whatever it was at one point, he did not expect to survive. Uh, the NASB translates this, that we had the sentence of death within ourselves. And, and it can be understood that Paul ha- had passed that sentence. He, he had concluded, I'm not surviving this. And he despaired of life. The word despair there, it means there was no passage, there was no exit, there was no way out. He felt like he was lost in an endless maze, not one of the pretty green manicured gardens in Europe, but a a dark and endless and a hopeless maze. I don't think that Paul is, is describing here that he was what we would call suicidal. I think he's confessing that he had given up hope. There's a distinction there. Uh, but they're both pretty bleak, pretty dark. And maybe you're thinking, wow, this kind of got dark quickly here. And you're right. Paul starts off right here from the beginning with the lowest of lows for him. He's leaving nothing out when it comes to his ministry. And he's, he's demonstrating for the Corinthians and, and for us as readers of this 2,000 years later Life might sometimes look like this. 
it, it might be that dark. And we shouldn't hide from it. We shouldn't pretend like everything's okay. Because sometimes everything is not okay. Paul wants them to know that Christian suffering may be severe too. In human experience, individuals suffer in different ways, different degrees. Not every human being, not every Christian will suffer as Paul did. His was marked by constant, severe suffering. The individual Christian experience is, is not that uniform. It's not like that. It's not copy and paste. It's, it's different. Maybe for you right now, maybe everything's pretty good. And if so, praise the Lord. Maybe you just have little stuff go wrong. You know, your AC goes out or your Wi-Fi. Maybe you, and, you, have, a, you have an achy joint. Or maybe you just always argue with your spouse about which restaurant to expend your expendable income on or what to binge watch on Netflix. Maybe, maybe those are the things you're dealing with. Maybe you have some more severe stuff going on. Maybe you have chronic pain. Maybe you have a, a very difficult work environment day after day. Maybe there's some significant work that needs to be done in your marriage or in your parenting. You don't feel despair, but you know you are afflicted. Or maybe you would say the same thing that Paul says here, that you are despairing of life itself. It just seems like there's no way out of everything that you're going through. Maybe the future for you just looks like one doctor's appointment after the next, one diagnosis worse than the next. Maybe every hard-earned dollar just goes toward your mortgage and debt and you're just behind on everything. Maybe every day for you is feeling stuck in a joyless, hopeless marriage. Or maybe you've tasted the bitterness and the meaninglessness of life. You feel like nothing you do will matter in the long run. Maybe you wouldn't say you're suicidal, but maybe you would. We find ourselves in this passage unintentionally, for my part, in what is called National Suicide Prevention Month. It's a, it's a sad, it's a very true reality that in the most prosperous, the most free, the most, most healthy society that has ever been on this planet, that people still suffer so, and people still despair of life. When we suffer, we normally ask similar questions. We ask, why is this happening? How am I going to get through this? How do I get this to stop? When is this going to stop? And maybe you feel like you have answers for none of that. If your suffering has brought you despair, in short, I want you to know there's hope. Uh, I want you to hear God's word this morning, uh, but beyond that, I'd love for you to benefit from our, our counseling ministry where someone would sit down with you and spend time with you showing in God's word how you can have hope. Whatever degree of affliction, 
that you are experiencing, that you have experienced, what you will experience, whatever depth of despair you're at, from, from light to deep. I want to see what we can understand from, from Paul this morning. Paul understands that. He despaired of life. And we can learn from that. What's more, God's word understands you and what you're going through. Not just Paul, the Psalms are filled with this. Psalm 42, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed or in turmoil within me? And further, Jesus himself understands you. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion, he said, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. So what did Paul specifically in our text this morning, what did Paul learn in his despair? I want to try to answer that this morning for you. Paul learned his despair isn't a prison. His suffering didn't just leave him to despair and he stayed there. He learned his despair was a doorway. That's how author Paul Tripp described it in his book on suffering. So even though Paul used the word despair, which meant there was no way out, there was no exit, there was no passage, he actually found out that his despair took him somewhere. It was a doorway to something else. Verse nine, he said, but that, the despair, was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul's despair led him not to rely on himself, but on God. Paul's despair led him to lean, to lean on God. Paul said he and his companions were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, they couldn't stand on their own. They had to rely on God, they had to trust, they had to lean. I don't wanna make it sound like suffering is is the hero here, it's not the teacher. Uh, This didn't just happen just because Paul and his companions happened to suffer. This was the result God intended. God works through suffering and through despair to bring about leaning, to bring about trust and reliance on him. Uh, A couple weeks ago, looking at the previous verses, uh, we saw that God shines light into our darkness by being with us in our trials. This is another truth. He shines light into the darkness by showing the pathway that he's planned out for us. It's not just, not just that God is with us in our trials, but that he wants to take us somewhere. And stepping through that doorway of despair is a step on that path. This is part of the answer to the question, why is this happening to me? God allowed, ordained this devastating situation in Paul's life so that he would learn to lean. Why? This is part of the answer. Perhaps that seems quite mean to you? Why would God do that? I would never do that to my kids. It might be especially tough to swallow if you're in the middle of something like that. I understand that. I think I know what you might be thinking. Um, But can I ask you to stay with me as we look at what is in this text, what God does say. If God is doing something this significant, let's understand the reason. Why do we need to learn to lean? Why does God teach us this way? One of the answers is that we lean to grow strong. If you like seafood and you find yourself in Hawaii, you might venture to try 
a local shellfish. It's called opihi. Has anyone tried that? I, I have no interest in it. I do not like seafood. Uh, but apparently, it's one of their, their favorite dishes, their favorite shellfish. And because of the demand, people tried to grow it and cultivate it themselves in their controlled farms and everything like that. But the product suffered. The taste was not there. And they realized it because it's not in its natural habitat. But that was part of the problem to begin with, because its natural habitat was along the roughest coastlines that were exposed to the roughest seas. So that gathering opihi was more deadly than shark attacks or any other dangerous animal in Hawaii. The value of the opihi was dependent on its taste, and its taste was dependent on how strong it was, which was dependent on how rough of seas it was exposed to. It was stronger, and therefore more tasty, living in rougher seas. Paul's faith was stronger living through this time of despair in his life. He relied on God, trusted in God, more than he did before. Our faith can become stronger when God leads us through trials. Unlike the OPE, our value is not dependent on how strong we are, thankfully. And to be clear, we're not becoming stronger in and of ourselves. We're becoming stronger leaners. We're becoming stronger in our faith, in trusting in God and not ourselves. Like the OP, we are becoming stronger holding on to something else, the rock. Not stronger in ourselves in these dangerous seas. So the answer to the question, how do I make it stop? It should never be, I figured it out, or I powered through it, or I bucked up and got stronger. When you're in despair of another medical diagnosis and your own strength is failing, you can step through that door of despair and you can lean on God more strongly. When you have a difficult work environment, every day can be a day that you trust God more. And even when your AC or your Wi-Fi goes out, each day can be a day that you lean on God more. When we lean, God can make us stronger. But not just to grow strong, let me make this point. There's a nice picture of the OP he for you. We don't just lean to grow strong, we also lean because we were not created to stand. We're not getting stronger on our own. We were never created to be strong on our own. Paul was taken beyond his own strength. He was shown that he did not have in himself enough to handle all that life could throw at him. He did not have in himself everything that he needed to be what God wanted him to be. And this wasn't just because he was strong and if he suffered, then someday he would be strong enough. That's, that's not God's program. This is because he was never created to be sufficient in himself. You and I were never created to be strong enough to stand on our own. We were created to lean. From the beginning of Creation, when God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they were dependent on him before the fall. They needed him to breathe life into their bodies. They needed him to tell them who they were and what they were supposed to do, what not to do, what to do. They were not created to live independent of God, to stand on their own. 
we are like that. And it's only worse because sin has made us utterly incapable of doing any good on our own. The song said, lean on me when you're not strong. Yes, that's all the time. We're like plants. You might have some of these in your garden that they need something else to grow on. Tomatoes, cucumbers, grapes. They need a trellis or a cage or a fence to grow on. Otherwise, they're just languishing in the dirt and not producing fruit. We're like that. Even more, we're like this ladder. This ladder was not created to stand on its own, was it? It only works when it leans. Unless you're one of the five people in the world who can do balancing acts and circus tricks. But for the rest of us, to use this in a way it wasn't created, to try and stand on the own, is dangerous to us. It's a bad idea. We were created to lean, to stand on our own instead of leaning, is dangerous to us in the spiritual sense. It's, it's pride. Proverbs 3, 5, a verse you're probably familiar with. Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. To lean on yourself, to stand on your own two feet is opposed to trusting in God. They're opposites in this verse. This is further illustrated in a parable that Jesus told in Luke 18, the Pharisee and the tax collector, you probably know that too, they were both at the temple, and the tax collector was humble. He didn't dare stand on his own. It says he was standing far off. He would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And this is in stark contrast to the Pharisee, who it says, he was standing by himself, And he prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And in the Gospels, it's said that Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. They, like the Pharisees, they trusted in their own righteousness. They trusted in their own ability to do do good in God's eyes. We were not created to stand on our own. Our sin makes it impossible to do anything good, to have a righteousness all our own. The renowned missionary Hudson Taylor once said, God uses men who are weak enough and feeble enough to lean on him. You know, we're focusing this year as a church on being disciples, making disciples, We often speak of discipleship as being like Christ. And that's certainly true. Uh, But part of that needs to be understanding there are ways that we're not going to be like Christ. We'll never rise to the level of deity. We don't teach that. We're never going to perform miracles like Jesus did. We're not going to be omniscient. And this is one of the ways we are not going to be like Christ. We were created to be dependent you know, in, in human flesh, Jesus knew what it was to suffer. He despaired of life in his human flesh, and he submitted to the will of his Father, but he was not created to lean like we were. And we will never be without the need to be entirely dependent on God. And it's God's mercy that he lets us see this. 
He helps us learn to lean, not on ourselves. He, he mercifully wants to break us of any idea of dependence on ourselves. Any dependence on our own righteousness to save us. Any dependence on our own ability to live the Christian life. Any dependence on our own wisdom to know what our life should be like. God wants to break us of those in his mercy. When you're in a place of despair, when, when someone you know, you're not sure if they're gonna survive, or if they're gonna be the same after this, or if you and your family are ever gonna get back to normal, or if you can do enough to make, it does, make sure it doesn't happen again or prevent it from getting worse, you realize how many things are outside your control. Things that you were never created to control. And it's God's mercy that helps you see this. It's his goodness that reminds you, you don't have to control these things. All the mysteries of the human body and the health and everything else, God is in control. You don't have to be. When your finances are so tight because of the stock market or the economy, the cost of living, your salary changed. All these things outside your control. God mercifully lets you see that you don't have to be God. When your relationship with your spouse or your child or a parent or someone else is so difficult and frustrating, you learn you can't control that other person. You were never meant to. You can't make that relationship be what you want it to be on your own, in your own wisdom, your own strength. It's God's goodness that lets you see that you're not God. Uh, it's like what the uh, popular band Switchfoot calls a beautiful letdown. It's a letdown to us to know that we don't have it in and of ourselves to be what we want to be to take on life. But it's a beautiful letdown. Because when we are let down, we get to see what God created us to be. We get to be what he wants us to be. I wanna ask you to consider, as we think of these things, what happens when we don't learn to lean? We don't learn the lesson that God has brought into our, into our lives. You know, if this is one of the reasons that God says he allows trials into our lives, what happens when we don't learn the lesson? God is patient with us, which is more than we deserve, but God does want us to learn. Not to get us under his thumb, but because it's what's good for us. It's because it's what we are created for. Hebrews 7 reminds us that God God disciplines those he loves. And if we stiffen our back against his lessons of leaning, he will continue to teach us because he loves us. Is this what's happening to Paul here? Did he have to go through this devastating situation because he wasn't learning what the Lord had wanted him to? I don't think so. All the other things that Paul describes of all the sufferings and all the lessons he's learned 
I don't think so. I think this is just the next level for Paul. In, in God's program for Paul, this was the next advanced course in learning to lean. And that may be what we see in our lives or in other people's lives. The suffering of the Christian is not uniform. So more suffering does not necessarily mean that someone is especially stubborn and is needing to be broken. That may not be what's happening in that person's life. It could be that those who are suffering significantly are, are leaning on God heavily. And God is just continuing to give them opportunities to lean and learn in deeper ways. And it could be that those who seem to be suffering the least are the ones who need to learn the most about leaning because they're standing on their own. What happens if that's you, if you are not learning to lean? And I don't say that as a warning shot across your bow, you better kneel or God's gonna get you. But as a reminder, God is working for our sanctification. He wants us to learn what he created us to be, to lean. And to not learn that, to stand on your own, is a dangerous place to be. And, and we should learn this lesson in all, all the spectrums of suffering, not just the worst where we're in despair, but the less severe ones, the ones that seem so trivial that we wouldn't, you wouldn't dare share them when you know other people are suffering so badly and people are being martyred around the world. When you just have an achy joint, you can still learn to lean. Learn the lesson then because we can't fully control it or understand it ourselves and it makes you weak and limited to some degree. Step into that lesson of leaning. When your AC or your Wi-Fi goes out, learn to lean. You realize there's so much that we don't know about the technology that we use and we could never fix it or we could never make sure it doesn't happen again on our own. Embrace that weakness. Lean while you sweat it out or while you wait for your signal to come back. If we don't, if we just go through trials and we only learn to stand more firmly on our own, we're not just a danger to ourselves. We have nothing to offer anyone else. If we just learn to stand on our own, then we just proclaim ourselves. That is not the gospel. We do not proclaim ourselves. And the way Paul speaks of this, this learning to lean, it's a kind of deliverance, being delivered from ourselves. Paul speaks of deliverance here more in the next verses. And it causes him to have hope. Hope. This leaning can lead to hope. Verse 10, Paul said, He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Paul had hope that he would be delivered. And he gives two reasons for that. He, gives, he says uh, he has delivered us and he will deliver us. And I think he means both of those in two different ways. Uh, so let me explain. When he says he has delivered us, he has delivered Paul spiritually, uh, physically. He's done it before. For all the things Paul has gone through, there's also been Many things he hasn't. He's miraculously escaped from cities. He survived an execution by stoning. Paul has seen the deliverance of God before in a physical way. And before we go on, let me just ask the question. A lot of times we might ask the question, why wouldn't God 
deliver someone from suffering, but let's ask the question right now, why would God deliver him from suffering? If suffering is so useful in the Christian life, as Paul has put on display in these previous verses, why wouldn't God just let us suffer, let Paul suffer more and more all the time? Because suffering isn't the teacher. God is the teacher. He uses suffering as the classroom for some of our most significant lessons. But suffering is not a good thing by itself. Of all the things that Paul says about suffering in this book and the rest of the New Testament, he doesn't glamorize suffering. He doesn't tell us to seek it out. He doesn't tell us to love pain, to have a martyr complex. God brings good from suffering, but suffering is still a bad thing. Suffering is not the way it's supposed to be. It's part of the fall. And so God delivers us from that sometimes, many times more than we realize probably because it's not inherently good for us. Not everything that could go wrong to us does. And the deliverance from these trials, from suffering that we experience, it's a, it's a foretaste, it's a little preview of the time when suffering will be no more. Suffering's not good and it's not going to stay this way forever. Revelation 21, we hear these words at the throne of God in heaven. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away forever. This is why we're going to sing in a few minutes the song, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. It will be a time when suffering will be no more forever. So Paul said, he has delivered us physically, and he looks forward to that deliverance in, in the future. He also said, God has delivered him spiritually. This physical deliverance that we're looking forward to at the end of all time is because of the spiritual deliverance that Paul received in the grace of Jesus Christ. When Paul wrote a different letter to a different church, the Roman church, uh, he said these words. He said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he answered his own questions. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul knew he was a wretched sinner. He deserved death. He needed deliverance. And so he cried out to God, to Jesus Christ, for forgiveness. He wrote to the Galatians, he said, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. He knew he needed deliverance. The forgiveness of his sins, the grace and the peace he found in Christ, and they're just the tip of the iceberg of this deliverance that is in Christ. There's going to be deliverance from death. He said, who will deliver me from this body of death. And that's why in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, we have hope in the God who raises the dead. Paul was given new life in his body on earth, and he will be raised eternally where there will be no more death. If you're a Christian, this is your deliverance too. And if you're not, if you're still relying on your own strength, trying to stand on your own, in your own wisdom or own righteousness, 
This can be your deliverance too. Lean. Don't stand in your own strength. Lean on Christ. Paul said he will deliver us. I think he means this also physically and spiritually. He believed that God may continue to save his life. God had done that in the past. That may be God's plan from the future. He didn't know, though. And if he didn't continue to deliver him physically to save his life more and more, he still knew that God would ultimately deliver him spiritually. This is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thinking and expressing when they were facing the fiery furnace. They said, God is able to deliver us, and we believe that he will, but even if not, we will still praise him. And in Paul's words, even to not be delivered physically, if he died, that was still deliverance for him. He wrote of this to Timothy right before his death, the last thing he wrote in in our scriptures. He said, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He understood that even death to the believer was a type of deliverance. To live as Christ and to die is gain, Paul said. The believer can say that, that, that death is gain when we know that we will be delivered spiritually in Christ forever because we have been delivered spiritually in Christ now. We can know that we will be glorified because we know we have been justified. And we can know that we will be raised from the dead because we've tasted of the new life in the spirit here and now. But we lean as we wait. We don't know, like Paul, what God's going to do in each situation. In each situation of suffering is this going to continue as he teaches us to lean. Will he deliver us now or, or soon? Will this stay with us for the rest of our days? Or will this bring about the hastening of the end of my days? We don't know. But we can have confidence in the God who does. We can know that he only brings us into these dark times of of despair. For our good, he won't afflict us to crush us. He won't abandon us to despair. Isaiah gives us a a really good picture of this in chapter 42. Uh, The goodness and wise God that we have, even in these difficult times. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly flickering wick he will not quench. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. It's hard to be a bruised reed or a faintly burning wick, to to be weak, to be diminished, to be limited, to be bent low. But it's good to be a bruised reed or a faintly burning wick in the hands of a good and wise God. And this, I think, is why, why Paul ends this paragraph with a call to prayer. You look at the last verse there, verse 11. You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. God created us to lean on him and to lean on each other. 
Lean on me, the song says. Especially in the church. Leaning on each other is leaning on God because we're the body of Christ. So we encourage each other. We speak truth. Those are, those are ways of encouraging each other, leaning and, and helping each other lean. You know, we had, like Pastor Matt mentioned, we had 10 people from our church yesterday being trained in how to counsel better, how to bear each other's burdens better and speak truth and love. Uh, but Paul just, just mentions prayer here. Pray for each other in our suffering. Because prayer helps us when we're suffering. It helps us to, to see through the despair, to see that it's a doorway and not a prison. Prayer can help us to see God's purposes in our suffering and, and not to stiffen against it or try to stand on our own. And, and prayer can help us see this is a good and a wise God who will not break a bruised reed, who will not quench you when you're a faintly burning wick. So we need to pray for each other in our suffering. And the way Paul finishes this, praying for each other in our suffering allows you and others to see the blessings of God and to glorify him. It brings God praise and glory. Let's pray now together for each other. God, you are a wise, you are a sovereign, and you're a good God. You created us for your glory, and we thank you that even though we've sinned and we've tried to stand on our own, you sent Jesus to deliver us, to make us be what you created us to be. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray as we endure various trials, the, the light ones or the heavy ones, that you would help us to see you clearly, that we would see you at work for our good. We pray that we would lean on you and not ourselves. And God, we hope for the day when suffering will be no more. May it be soon. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.